Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Hello and welcome to the July 13th Wednesday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network on Audio Boom. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson. For the last three years, I covered the Blazers as the beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian, and you can find my writing now at BlazersEdge.com. So it's Wednesday, and the Blazers are still in the midst of their fight for summer league glory. They uh, got a W yesterday against the Utah Jazz with Pat Connaughton hitting the game-winning three in double overtime in the sudden death Vegas special double overtime. But the basketball gods are punishing us once again by making the Blazers play the Jazz for the second day in a row. I thought one game of seeing Aaron Kraft play was enough for me. But hey, we, we got to deal with the cars that we were dealt. It's been oddly overcast here in the, in the Portland area for the past week. I'm pretty okay with it, to be honest with you. The July weather that we had last year made me feel like the earth was going to get swallowed by the sun sooner rather than later. But, it, you know, it's cloudy, so at least we have some summer league hoops to watch tonight. I don't know if you're into the ESPYs. I don't know if you're into the Calvin Harris, Taylor Swift Twitter beef. Uh, I don't know what you're into, but maybe maybe you like basketball because that's why you're here on Locked On Blazers. We're going to have content for you every day. The Blazers play at 5.30 local time today, Wednesday, against the Utah Jazz. And even if they lose, there will be one more game for them left in the consolation bracket before they wrap up their Vegas stint, but they could end up playing through the weekend if they if they string a couple wins together. Uh, they were one and two overall. Devin Booker went ham on them. They couldn't score against the Spurs summer league squad, and they got a W yesterday thanks to Connaughton's big shot in double overtime. We went pretty deep on summer league stuff yesterday on the podcast, talking about the guys on the summer league squad trying to figure out what, if any, of their performances mean. You know, it's Summer League, so it's hard to extrapolate some stuff from that. But we all, we did wonder whether any of these guys will make this, the rotation next year. But you can also check back our other episodes where we talked about free agency, who's on the squad, who's coming back. We still have no news about Maurice Harkless. And... The reports are that the Blazers want to bring him back. However, there are some teams with cap space. I'm looking at you, Brooklyn. And they could give Harkless an offer sheet that would make it hard for the Blazers to match. That's still in play. I don't know how much teams are willing to invest in Harkless after basically one productive season in the last two years after he really had the worst season of his career in his last season in Orlando, he went from pretty much as low as he'd ever been as a player to semi-serviceable. And then he eventually got into the starting lineup and he really excelled as an offensive rebounder, cutter off the ball, 
good finisher, good defender as well. His size allows him to play four a little bit, and that would give the Blazers more versatility if he comes back, which is what they want because I'm, they're not gonna they're not gonna outstar anybody. Uh, you look at the Clippers, even obviously the Warriors, who have all the superstars in the world, but without getting into all of that stuff today, we'll wait until there's more news on Harkless to dive into what he means to the team, if he's back or if his departure means anything. I wanted to touch on some some more global NBA stuff that is going to affect the Blazers. The NBA Board of Governors made some rule changes yesterday that changed how teams can do intentional fouling. Now they've made it two shots and the ball at the last two minutes of every quarter instead of the fourth quarter, which is what it was before. So there's going to be less time for teams to intentionally foul. And then the other big news that of the NBA world that definitely affects the Blazers is the latest report, which makes a ton of sense from, from Howard Beck of Bleacher Report, saying that the Oklahoma City Thunder are expected, or at least according to people within the league, that are looking at their situation, looking at Durant just leaving and how they got nothing for that. Westbrook with a year left on his contract. My buddy Fred Katz, who covers the Thunder for the Norman Transcript and also is the host of Locked on Thunder, which you should definitely listen to as well, said that the speculation around the league is that Westbrook wants to go to L.A., but if you have been paying attention to the league for the last few years, if there's going to be a trade partner for the Thunder, the Celtics have all of the stuff that you would want in a rebuild-type situation, which is kind of what they're in right now. The The Celtics have been hoarding all these assets for for years after the with the Paul Pierce trade, and the, the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade to Brooklyn where they, they fleeced them for all their future picks. And when the Durant news broke, my buddy Sean Hyken and I, who host a, a weekly podcast called the Bulls versus Blazers NBA podcast, speculated a Boston move because it, it's just connecting the dots. You can just easily see they have all these future picks and pick swaps from the Brooklyn Nets who are not going to be good. They The Nets, if obviously you know that the Blazers matched the offer sheet for Alan Crabb, which they were hoping to get done to get uh, a scoring wing in Crabb. And then the Miami Heat matched Tyler Johnson's offer sheet that he signed with the Nets. So really all the Nets have so far is Jeremy Lin, and they made a trade. They traded Thaddeus Young to get a young player at Karis LeVert in the draft. They traded Young to the the Indiana Pacers. So looking at their roster right now, you got to think they're sitting pretty, especially now that it looks like the Sixers are actually trying to win. They got former Blazer Gerald Henderson, who should definitely help them bring a little professionalism to the guard spots, a little professionalism to the organization, which was lacking at least in terms of the players that they were bringing in. They were just bringing in young guys who didn't really have any NBA experience, and they kind of had... Jason Richardson in years past, uh, I can't even remember the, who the most veteran player was on their team last year. Maybe it was Jason Richardson. I don't know. But they have Gerald Henderson, who's a pro, will be a good example to have guys around. Ben Simmons, obviously, the the, the word is uh, on the internet streets that Joel Embiid is healthy. So those Nets picks are going to be insanely valuable, especially if people, if the Sixers make the, the leap out of the cellar that people are expecting them to make with Simmons, with a healthy Embiid, with Nerlens Noel, potentially Dario Saric from 
Croatia coming over one of their lottery picks a couple of years ago. And if the the Celtics get Westbrook, that really positions them to potentially challenge the Cavs. I know the Cavs just won the title and they have LeBron James, but you add Al Horford and Russell Westbrook to any team and that makes them at least they're definitely number two in the East for me. And then you never know what might happen. What, what if love maybe gets hurt or Kyrie, I mean, LeBron never gets hurt. So that's not really an expectation, but they give themselves a chance with Westbrook. And if they can keep some of their guys to remain competitive, then they're in really good shape. But where it's huge for the Blazers is that it opens up the door for them to win even more games. I think people were projecting the Blazers to be better than the Thunder this year after immediately after the Durant departure. But if Westbrook was there, they would still have to deal with Russell Westbrook. And Westbrook, with that deep of a team around him, they just added Oladipo. They have good big men. They could have. They still could potentially bring back Deion Waiters, who for all of the shortcomings that and and all the fun people like to poke at him waiters is a pretty solid you know backup wing a guy that can play solid defense a guy that can get to the rim he gets really downhill with his drives on the pick and roll he's he's a good player and if they bring him back you never know what might happen especially with Westbrook feeding off the energy of Durant leaving him and now it, this obviously is not official this is just reports and of speculation from teams around the league, which obviously have a, a great pulse on what's going on. And Howard Beck is one of the best reporters out there. So it, it, it doesn't sound like blowing smoke. And one of the points that Beck points out too, is that this is very in character for Oklahoma city. If they really do believe that Westbrook is gone, if the buzz that he is going to leave at the end of next season is true, which it doesn't seem like that's blowing smoke. And I think once you get burned once, they don't want to get burned again. And they've traded, they traded Ibaka a year before his deal. They traded James Harden before a year before his deal went up. So this makes a ton of sense for the thunder. And that would basically give the Blazers four games in which they're super heavy favorites in the division. And although the wolves are, they have the best young core outside of golden state, at least in my opinion, with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, and Towns has a chance to be the next Duncan. And you basically just have the Blazers and the Jazz in the Northwest Division at this point. And both of those teams are going to make a run at a top seed. That battle between those two teams is going to be huge. The Jazz were really hampered by injury last year. They had Gobert miss a chunk of games. They had Favors miss a chunk of games. They had... Alec Burks in and out for most of the year. They really found some some good players like Rodney Hood who really improved and they should be solid. Dante Exum was out for the entire year. I wouldn't expect a ton of impact from Exum this year after he returns from an ACL injury, but they just added George Hill. They got him in a trade. They got Boris Diaw in a trade because the Spurs were creating cap space to add Pau Gasol. And they got Joe Johnson who... I've made fun of Joe Johnson plenty of in, in my career. He was massively overpaid for the Atlanta Hawks, but he's still good and he can make shots. He can play a little bit of four now in his age where he's not as mobile as he used to be. And he just makes buckets and has been there before and can be a guy that can get baskets for them in certain situations. So the jazz are, are looking excellent shape. And to me, 
the Northwest Division battle is the most interesting battle because it's actually a battle. I, I think we can definitely say the Warriors are going to win the Pacific Division. All due respect to the Clippers. They've been a very good team for the last three or four years, five years, ever since Chris Paul got there. And they've been even stronger with Doc Rivers as the head coach. But I think we all know where that division's going. The Southwest Division, I think you got to give it to San Antonio, even though uh, Duncan isn't there. But you got you got to you got to give Pop respect. You got to give some of those guys a lot of respect. They have Kawhi Leonard, who was an MVP candidate last year. So you got to give those guys an adequate number, adequate amount of respect. But looking at it, the Blazers have a really good chance to potentially get on the same side of the, uh, the different side of the bracket as the Warriors and and set themselves up for a run at maybe a conference final. And the the division title doesn't really matter anymore. The NBA made changes last offseason so that seeding wasn't tied to whether you won the division or not. That doesn't really matter. However, it does matter in terms of tiebreakers of, say, the Blazers have in a what would be a dream scenario, really, if they could get a similar record or the same record as the Clippers if the Blazers are a division champion and they split season series, all that. It, it, it's lower on the list as a tiebreaker, but it still matters some. And I'm sure that the players also do care about it a little bit to have pride of winning your division. Coaches care about that stuff. It, it, it's a benchmark thing. It sounds good. You can market it. You can sell t-shirts all you want. And the best the most important thing I think about the Westbrook potential trade, especially if he goes to the East, is that it allows the Blazers a little room for slippage to still make the playoffs if they have injury, if guys maybe don't get better, which I don't think is really that much of a concern because the Blazers, for the most part, in the Terry Stotts, Neil Olshea era, have done a very good job of developing talent. You look at guys like Crab. You look at guys like even Aminu, who improved over the course of the season. Harkless, who was on the scrap heap, and they turned him into a rotation player. Guys like Will Barton in in Denver, who was really developed with Portland and really has flourished with the Nuggets. And you have to start with the assumption that the Warriors are going to win the West. They're going to get the top seed. They're going to win a bunch of games. And everybody in the West is competing for second place basically at this point. And the Blazers have a very good chance. They're really deep. They're one of the deepest teams in the league. If if they can get adequate improvement out of their guys, their young guys, they really have a chance to compete for the third seed, maybe the two seed. You never know what might happen. And I guess the question is, could they really be that high of a seed? I think if Westbrook leaves and the Thunder aren't there, that's one other team you really don't have to concern yourself with in terms of both them winning a lot of games and them being on your schedule. Defensively, it's it's still hard for me to see that happening because the Blazers were they were a solid defense in the second half of the season, but they still finished 20th in overall defensive rating at the end of the season. And Festus Azili and his rim protection, if healthy, will definitely help. And he can protect the paint. But 
perhaps lightening some of the load on Damian Lillard offensively by adding another ball handler and Evan Turner. This is, you know, your very positive outlook on what Turner could do. It could produce really positive results for Dame on the defensive end because then he has more energy to expend, to get around screens, to to chase guys off the ball, to be a, a, a more consistent defender because I think a lot of the times when when Dame has maybe some shortcomings defensively, it's really a lot because – his load is so big. It's the same problem that James Harden had. It's not necessarily, obviously I think Dame tries much harder or definitely tried more than James Harden did on defense last year. But that I think was uh, an anomaly, so to speak for Harden. And I think Lillard has gotten better. And I think if he has a lighter load, at least on the offensive end, over the course of a 48-minute game, he'll have more energy to expend defensively. I'm not really sold on Turner being a great defender, even better than Alan Crabb on defense, but having a 6-7 guy with length can't hurt. It's I don't think it's going to hurt the Blazers that much. And you have to hope that all of their wings make strides, and that includes Crabb, McCollum, Turner, Mo Harkless if he comes back, guys like even... Pat Connaughton, maybe if he cracks the rotation at all, and you have to help. You have to hope that their other bigs make strides as well, because Plumlee has one year left on his deal, and then the Blazers just made a, a big time, long term investment in Myers Leonard at a four year, forty one million dollar contract, and neither one of them are known as good defenders, but they can actually make strides defensively, and I think that Leonard actually defends the paint a little bit better. And the post than Plumlee, but Plumlee just has better instincts as a defensive rebounder, and he's more of a hustle guy, which I think is what they need or what they needed definitely last year on the starting lineup. And you also have Noah Vonley, who we've talked about. His potential is off the charts still, just 20, had the best rim protection numbers of anybody on the team, but he's still young. He still is learning the NBA game really. I mean, he's he's a rookie and he was a, basically a rookie last year and you can't really expect him to step into that role. And Ed Davis is a scrappy player, great offensive rebounder, pretty solid defensive rebounder as well, but not the stopper or paint protector that you need. But no matter what happens, the Blazers should be in great shape, especially if Westbrook gets traded to be a playoff team, even if some bad things happen to them, whether it's an injury or some guys, you know, have a slumping year or or what have you, everyone expected the Blazers to not be very good last year. And it's fair to expect some kind of step back, but they, they have added so much talent and they have a track record of improving under this regime that I think you should expect them to make the playoffs once again next year. And to be honest, too, it's not just the Blazers, you know, wondering if they overachieved last year. It's also you have to think about teams around them, like Memphis, like Utah, who were expected to be playoff teams, you know, potentially competing for a first round win, maybe getting to the conference finals. But they were so banged up health-wise that you have to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're not going to get bit by the injury bug like that again. Memphis, obviously, Marc Gasol was out for the entire post-All-Star break part of the season. Con- Mike Conley was out for the back end of the season. The, the Grizzlies had a, a record-breaking number of injuries. They just added Chandler Parsons, who 
also has his fair share of injury history, but they're obviously betting on him to not be injured, just like the Blazers were when the Blazers offered Parsons a big contract before he went to Memphis. And Utah, they Gobert missed a chunk, favors, as we said, you know, they dealt with a lot of injuries, and they're really young as well. But I think you can pencil in the Blazers, Memphis, Utah, the Clippers, the Spurs to really compete to get to the conference finals. And the Spurs, I think there's a lot of questions with them because as as great of a coach as Popovich is, he gives all the credit in the world to their culture, their unselfish nature, all that stuff to Duncan. And if Duncan's not there on a daily basis setting an example for the team, that might have an impact. And I don't think we can underestimate that that might have a pretty major impact on the Spurs and their guards aren't getting any younger. They got older in the front court. Well, not older because Duncan was 40, but Pau Gasol is 36 and they lost David West, which I I guess that's kind of a wash. I think Gasol is better than David West. So maybe there's a little bit of improvement, but I think overall losing Duncan, it's, it's a wash for them. They have Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers, they've dealt with their injuries. They may be a little volatile at times. And Chris Paul is getting up there in age. So although I would pencil the Clippers and Spurs in as two and three in the West, we've seen that injuries can change everything. And the Clippers are basically just running back the same team that they had last year without Cole Aldrich and who was a solid backup center for them. But I think the one thing that we can definitely take from these Westbrook rumors is at the very least, it gives the Blazers more room for error, more room, more room in case of an injury to still make the playoffs and get a decently high seed and compete for the division title with the jazz, whatever that means. But I think Utah Utah and Portland are neck and neck as the teams to beat in that division. I just don't think that the Wolves are ready. However, I am ready to eat my crow if Tom Thibodeau gets them to play solid and does what Thibodeau does and and win games. The other big news in the NBA since our last podcast yesterday was the the rule change, which we mentioned at the top. The Hacka intentional fouling was all the rage last season. It wasn't just your DeAndre Jordans or Andre Drummonds or Dwight Howards that were getting fouled, but guys like Blazers backup big Ed Davis. There was a paper that was written during the Sloan conference a couple of years ago that basically just outlined that just from a purely mathematical perspective that fouling guys intentionally is a great way to win basketball games because it just makes more sense mathematically. Granted, basketball is not a math equation, and that is awful. And in the words of my friend Corbin Smith, who wrote a piece for Vice about that paper, it was the paper that could ruin the league. And the league took some steps to remedy that, to not allow the end the end of quarters overall. There's now a two-minute period at the end of every quarter where teams cannot intentionally foul, or if they do, it's two shots and the ball, which makes it no longer a mathematical advantage because you're adding another possession to the team and you're allowing them to choose who their best free throw shooter on the court to shoot the free throw shots. But, you know, 
Well, I might take that back, but it gives, does give them an extra possession. However, games, I think, for me, just get dragged out way too long. I think that's for everybody. I don't necessarily hate it when guys inten- when guys are intentionally fouled. I do think it adds a certain amount of drama to a game, especially in the playoffs. But nobody wants to sit through a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour game. or th- Most games... They want to get him around two hours, 2.30 tops. You don't want to go too far into that, especially if you go into overtime. And I still think that teams will do this. It still gives teams a chance to exploit an inefficiency with someone's foul shooting. Guys like Jordan are still not going to be immune to this. They also did a nice thing with the rule change that if you jump on someone's back, which I don't know if you remember JJ Redick jumping on Andre Drummond's back to draw an intentional foul, that that is automatically a flagrant. There's no, there's no review there. They don't have to go to the video board, which is another can of worms where we waste a ton of time, which I would have liked to see addressed, but at least they addressed it with this one specific area And as far as it pertains to the Blazers, the Blazers are actually in pretty decent shape compared to most teams. New addition Festus Azili had the worst free throw shooting numbers last year of anybody on the team. Uh, He shot 53% last year with Golden State. Davis, as we mentioned, was fouled. He shot 59%. Mason Plumlee was fouled a lot at the beginning of the year. He really improved as the year went on. He shot 64%. And then Myers Leonard is a really good shooter. We've addressed that before. He shot 76%. But I think the bigger impact for the Blazers is in their philosophy because Terry Stotts is a big proponent uh, of intentional fouling. He is unapologetically for it. He, against the Clippers in the regular season even, he was the one who had the Blazers foul DeAndre Jordan so many times that he shot 34 free throw attempts, which is a career high. Kevin Pelton tracked the free throws all year and saw that there was a massive increase last season. It wasn't just... We've been talking about this for years, and it's not really a new problem. It escalated to an obscene amount of intentional foul free throws last year, and so the Board of Governors, which met yesterday in Vegas, thought it was an issue that needed to be addressed. I don't think that it needs to be abolished altogether, as some may think. I don't really think it's that much different from teams ignoring poor three-point shooters on the perimeter in the playoffs like Tony Allen or what teams did to Al Farouk Aminu, who was a very good, was a good three-point shooter last year, but teams were still willing to let him shoot instead of CJ and Dame shoot, which makes a ton of sense mathematically again, but ignoring bad three-point shooters doesn't slow down the game, whereas intentionally fouling free throw shooters does. And the the league made a change to make the game a little bit more watchable, but still didn't go super far to let really bad free throw shooters totally get by. Because if they do that, then it makes guys like DeAndre Jordan, who are very, very good players, into great ones. I mean, guys like Drummond and, and Jordan or Dwight Howard, if you can't intentionally foul them anymore and they're no longer forced to shoot free throws in certain situations, then their value becomes even greater. And I know that that's maybe how some want to see the game, but that's it's not for me. But I do think that it's good overall, the, the rules and adjustments that they made. And I think it will affect the Blazers some, at least with their philosophy, because they're very pro-fouling against bad free throw shooters. Even 
dating back to the series that they won against Houston, Hacka changed the game for them, changed the series for them against Dwight Howard. And they will still do it. I'm sure they'll still find ways to do it, but they're just not going to be able to do it as much. So it, that's something that kind of affects the Blazers. It affects the whole league. And so I thought it was it was worth addressing that and the Westbrook rumors. The Summer League stuff, I touched on it yesterday. Thanks for joining me once again on another episode of the Lockdown Blazers podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Download the Audio Boom app and listen to us there. Subscribe to the RSS feed if you have an Android to get all the podcasts directly on your devices. Leave us a five-star review. The Blazers play again tonight at 5.30 on NBA TV and ESPN3. If you want to get some summer basketball in, they're playing Utah again. Hopefully Shabazz Napier doesn't get hurt again. Maybe he can actually finish the game this time. Poor guy has just been forced from injury. He had a lacerated scalp and then he hurt his shoulder. So I hope he gets to play. But we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Blazers. You can now follow Locked On Blazers on Twitter at Locked On Blazers. And if you have any questions that you want to be answered or discussed on the podcast with me or our variety of guests that we will have in the future, send us an email at lockedonblazers, one word, at gmail.com. With the holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway Stock Up Sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for $8 with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Brownie Mix, or Frosting are 10 for $10 with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is $0.20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com.